This is Design Related, where we talk to our favorite designers about their origin story, what they're working on now, and everything in between. I am Francisco Hui. And I'm Mike McDiarmid. Today we're talking with Tomer Sharon, head of UX at WeWork and former researcher at Google. So let's get started. Thank you so much, Tomer, for joining us today. Great to be uh, here. Great to have you. Um, so we wanted to start off the conversation talking about uh, a book that you have recently released called Validating Product Ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, uh, would you mind if I quote you? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I do that all day long. Awesome. So uh, one quote that I really liked was when you're talking about, um, you're talking about the power of the bullshit persona, as you call it. Yeah. And then you're saying that, it helps you and your team focus uh, uh, your research, validate or invalidate your assumptions, and then ultimately lead you to developing a real research-based, valid, and reliable, no bullshit persona. Yeah. Um, and this got me thinking about a struggle that uh, I hear iterated by a, a lot of clients of ours uh, working in the enterprise space, working with uh, within organizations that really don't have a whole lot of support uh, for anything really after the development of the bullshit persona that's based yeah. solely on assumptions that internal stakeholders, based on their domain expertise, uh, really try to enforce upon a product team. So uh, I, I, I'm wondering in, in that sort of environment where you're really kind of stuck designing to assumptions, uh, what sort of recommendations for a starting point that you would have for a designer that's trying to like get out of that mold and really do evidence-based uh, user research and their designs. I'm very happy you started with this. <laughs> um, I don't know if, if you read between the lines. I'm not a persona person. <laughs> I, I don't really appreciate personas because of exactly that. Mm-hmm. Because in most cases, the development of the persona stops after these assumptions. And, um, and what happens after is even worse. The design is being built based on these um, you know, nice words to describe them are assumptive personas or um, proto-personas, um, but I, I call them what they are. They're bullshit. We're all playing games here. So it's just, you know, to be clear that this is just a creation of our, of our minds, nothing else. So, um, so that's why, you know, I'm calling it that. By the, and by the way, I, I didn't coin this term. I'm, I'm just using it. Um, so uh, in my view... Um, bullshit personas are not personas until you do the actual research and um, the way to do that I mean there are different levels of of maturity uh, toward user experience in in organizations and um, I would say if you're at some level not you know the lowest one and you're doing something uh, most organizations do uh, the basic, I don't know, usability testing. As the person who's doing that, and let's say your stakeholders or clients or whoever are really, you know, they really want to do usability testing no matter what, um, which is, by the way, in my view, the least important research method, but um, we can talk about that later. But let's assume that you do that. You as the person who does that, either if, you, if you're a designer or researcher or whoever, you control the time. There, was, there is no stakeholder or client who would tell you the usability testing sessions should only last 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. They don't say that. They don't care. You do that. You decide. So what I'm, what I'm leading to is that 
let's say you, you decided that it's going to be 30 minutes and you're going to test that thing that you prototyped, whatever. Um, you can schedule the sessions for 60 minutes. Or if it's 45 minutes, you can schedule them for 75 minutes. And then do the research that you're supposed to do or that you think you should do for example, for, per, for developing personas. So let's say you plan a 30-minute interview. And then what you'll see that, that, that is happening is that in the beginning, uh, depending on your setup, you'll see uh, either IMs from people, product managers or people like that telling you, what the heck are you doing? This is not what we agreed on. But soon after, they'll get quiet because they'll see that this is very, very interesting for them. And if they insist, you can say, oh, this is just, you know, for our internal learning or whatever, mumble something. And you'll see that they're, after the fact, they'll be more interested in the second part that they didn't ask for rather than, you know, running a usability test to find out if, if blue links are better than black ones. So that's my kind of approach to personas. Um, honestly, I don't really invest in personas. Um, I, I think that... Uh, personas, first of all, it's not a lot of people confuse personas with research. Personas are not a research technique. They are a communication tool and for communicating research or, or you know, leading to design. Um, I think that they're right for certain situations and certain organizations, especially when stakeholders and design or when, I don't know, engineers, uh, product managers, designers and others don't have common language to describe their users then I might be persuaded that it's needed. Um, if that's not the case, then personas, you know, a lot of startups, a lot of companies, they say, we're doing UX. What are you doing? We're doing personas. Personas is not UX necessarily. So um, personally, I think there are other ways depending on the situation. So you mentioned in there that usability testing, in your opinion, yeah. can be one of the least valuable or, or, or least relevant mm -hmm types of user research, what, what do you think kind of in the, in the hierarchy of <laughs> user research needs would kind of fall at the top? So I'm going to use some cliches here, uh, but they're true. <laughs> I mean, um, in my view, it's more important to develop the right thing than developing it the right way. And uh, developing it the right way to me equals usability testing. So we can create a beautiful and usable product, whatever the product is, and you know, test the heck out of its, its usability and make it perfect, but it still can be a product that nobody needs. So in my view, the, the higher um, level research, the more important research is the research that identifies um, human needs. So that's where I'm going with it. Usability testing is important, but it's funny to me that this is the first thing that, that you know, mature companies do. Um, but <laughs> you know, being really mature about research is understanding that usability testing has very short, it's very effective, no, no doubt about it, but it has very short um, shelf life. So the results of usability test are only valid until you fix whatever needs fixing, and then they're not relevant anymore. If you run a study to identify needs, that can be valid and it has long shelf life, sometimes years. Still true. If you did a study, I'll give you an example. If you did a study to identify what salespeople need, that's probably going to be true for many, many, many years. 
So, um, so that's what, what I mean by you know, usability testing being the, the least important research method. Can you also talk about the, how uh, research fits into your work now at, yep. at WeWork? Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of, uh, it's kind of odd that a, a person that is, uh, um, I don't know, loves, believes, uh, is a, uh, believes in research, is a researcher, uh, runs a group now. Um, everything we do is based in research, uh, from the very basic uh, research to identify needs, to, uh, to testing and experimenting uh, uh, all the small details of what we do. So, um, and, and a, a decision that I made right from the start is that we're not gonna have a research team. Uh, in many, many cases, you see a design team or user experience team, and then either next to it or in it, there's a, there's a research team. Um, I wanted to avoid that because um, I didn't want researchers to be isolated because researchers and research teams can be very easily can, you know, sink in their world of, of research and do their research and then nothing really happens around them um, to act on, on that research. So um, building a team from scratch, I got to decide and um, and I decided that every design team that I'm going to have in my group will have a, a researcher uh, embedded in the design team. And that research, researcher would be uh, two things. First, a relatively senior researcher that's been there and done that. And also a person who's very comfortable with um, mentoring and facilitating, not necessarily doing the research on their own, but um, teaching others and mentoring others in the team and outside of the team on how to do their own research. Uh, can you give us an example, since we work on, on the surface as a very sort of physical product-centric uh, company yep. where you know, it's a shared office space company and, and customers uh, can expect you know, the, uh, uh, to, to purchase a, a desk space for a certain number of months to right. get their company started. But kind of underpinning this whole physical experience is a very digital uh, product as well. There's an internal software development team that creates a lot of online experiences for uh, whether you're onboarding your company or uh, for companies to help run themselves more efficiently and things like yeah. that as well. So w uh, what does that kind of mean for this UX team that you're building out in terms of straddling both yeah. uh, physical and digital worlds? I'll, I'll start from the WeWork mission because I think it, 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 it leads us to, to the answer. So the mission is... Uh, to create a world where people uh, make a life, not just a, not just a living. So from there, you can understand that our product is not just the shared space. It is the shared space, the physical aspect of, of what we offer. Um, and it's also uh, the digital products that, that you mentioned. We support the community uh, of creators, as we like to call it, with... Um, you know, an, an internal member network, something like uh, internal Facebook for members to connect with one another, events and all kinds of, of other um, activities that are happening online, digitally, that have uh, activities that have a screen. Um, but the product doesn't stop there. The product is physical, the product is, is digital, but the product is also human. So if you think of Tim Cook at Apple, uh, he can, uh, tomorrow morning, wake up and say to his people, 
uh, bring me all of Apple's products, put them on the table in front of me. I want to touch them. I want to feel them. I want to give you feedback. Um, we can't do that <laughs> because our products are, are not here. The physical and digital aspects are relatively easy to, for us to touch and feel. Um, we, we have blueprints. We have the architects that design these spaces. And our technology, our digital group is, is right there and we can control in a way the software. But the product is also our community team. So our community team is probably two thirds of the company uh, at any given point in time. These are our people in all of our buildings worldwide and they are the product. Everything they do, everything they say, the way they behave is the product, is that they're creating the user experience. So, um, so yes, I'm, I'm well aware. Uh, I, I had that feeling you know, before I joined WeWork. It's a, a real estate company, isn't it? So, uh, but as, as soon as you get closer, you begin to understand that the product has you know, physical aspects, digital ones, and also the human aspect, our, our community team. So it, the integration of all of that is what we're trying to do in the, in the user experience group. Can you maybe give us an example of how, how research is being applied within the specific teams or, or uh, in the different aspects of, of the WeWork? Yeah, um, let me think for a second about which, <laughs> which example, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll give the lobby example. So we were uh, tasked with um, creating a better experience in our lobbies. And, um, or actually the task was uh, come up with a concept within a week. <laughs> so uh, naturally, uh, every designer given a week for a, a task like that that has, again, physical, digital, and human aspects or service design aspects, uh, we jump right to, to, you know, ideation, coming up with some ideas, some solutions, sketching, and okay, let's, let's have something uh, coherent uh, within a week. That's not a lot of time. Uh, but I st stopped that from happening and we spent two days uh, not doing that but just doing uh, research to identify because we asked what why are we doing this what what would make this successful um, redesign is not a goal what what problems are we trying to solve in the lobbies uh, there were no clear answers so we said okay so we'll find the answers so we took two days to understand uh, what's working well and not so well in the lobbies and um, we came up with a long list of, of, of things to deal with. Um, and after two days, we invited a lot of our stakeholders in the company, everyone who's, you know, who we thought is and maybe is not related to the lobby. And um, we ran a design studio, with, which is just a, just a way to generate some, uh, some ideas sketching together. And uh, we fleshed out some ideas and decided to pick um, to pick one. And and then in the remaining days, we worked with an illustrator, of, um, a writer, a, a fiction writer, who wrote a story. And um, we pretty much came up. Our our concept was delivered in a way of a of a video, a four or five minute video, uh, half of which was dedicated to. Um, very quickly describe the top three uh, problems we found in the lobby and then um, we told a story in illustrations and, and with a, we also hired a narrator uh, we told a story about a person visiting WeWork uh, and all the story happens in the lobby 
uh, and the story demonstrated what we suggested are some physical, digital, and um, service design uh, changes. So uh, that's how we affected it. I mean, we could have started with just designing. I'm pretty sure we wouldn't get to where we got after the research. Uh, but that's just a small example. For every project, we will always start it with research. If it's a larger one, it's going to be you know, longer than, than two days. But um, this was kind of a, a small example that shows that even when we're tight on time, um, we're still spending um, a lot of it on, on research. Do you think that a, a lot of projects can be broken down into a, a, a week-long sort of starting point like that? Even if you're tackling like a much bigger problem, how yeah. how would how would your team sort of look at that and say, okay, this is this is this needs more than a week's worth of research, or maybe we can like chunk this up such yeah. that we can do one yeah. problem at a time. So um, one one principle that that we're working by is that we work in sprints. So um, design sprints. Uh, we actually call them UX sprints because the Google the Google Venture design sprint. Uh, uh, doesn't really fit what we're trying to do, so we adjusted it a little bit. So I think these week-long sprints allow us to kind of kick off a project, kick off an idea, uh, or a, a you know a way to solve a problem. You don't complete all the work that needs to be done within a week. There's, it doesn't make sense. It can't happen. Um, but you have a good start, and, and it's the, the framework and you know the strict times that you need to complete stuff is really helpful in forcing you to get to something um, reasonable within a week. Um, so it's funny we call it a, a week-long sprint, and then uh, and then we have jogs. <laughs> so it's not slower but it's just you know it it takes it takes longer longer time you can't always be spreading yeah yeah <laughs> you can <laughs> so uh so then the project actually continues um to fruition but um not in a pace that is you know a sprint pace can we go back to how you think about building the team dynamics um so the different roles and what you think yeah. would be an effective team and how the role of design and research might have to change from our the way we might understand it. So, um, so when I first started, uh, after a, a, a month that I uh, worked undercover for a little bit to better understand uh, WeWork from the inside, uh, I pretended to be a, a potential member and toured a lot of buildings uh, here in New York and in San Francisco, and um, even joined as a member to one of uh, one of the buildings and uh, worked from there for a while. And that led me to uh, deciding how to build the group in terms of um, teams and, uh, and roles. So uh, the two options that I had in my mind were build the team based on user. So we'll have the, the member, uh, we have primary members, these are the ones that actually signed the contract, and non-primary members, these are people who work in the company that decided to work from WeWork, or uh, the community manager, and so on and so forth, based on user. Um, but eventually I decided to build the group based on user journeys. Uh, so we, uh, we have five user journeys at WeWork. Um, Pre-membership, everything that happens to a person from the time they're aware of a thing called WeWork until they sign and become members. 
Then comes onboarding from that time to sign it, they sign the contract until what we call, uh, until they feel comfortable uh, working at WeWork. That, that includes a lot of the first time they do a lot of things. Um, then comes membership, hopefully the longest, <laughs> the longest journey. And then uh, growth, when a company, let's say they started as four people, now they want to grow, they want to hire more people, maybe they want to open an office in a different building, in a different city, country, continent, whatever, uh, today we can do that for them. And lastly, graduation. When they want to leave us, we don't have to just say bye-bye and, and, and send them a, uh, an exit survey. We can do a lot more than that. Um, and from there, I thought about the roles. So my, my kind of guiding principle is that I will not limit the team to, um, to the hammers that I know. <laughs> so uh, yes, I immediately thought, okay, we need team leads, we need a product designer, visual designer, uh, engineer, researcher in every team. But uh, we also need some, some other roles. We need an architect, we need an interior designer, we need maybe an industrial designer, filmmaker, we'd like to communicate with films, um, writers, and so on and so forth. I think I counted at some point that eventually we're gonna hire about 18 different roles. So yes, most of my experience is in uh, what we call it, we work digital design. It's funny, I never use that word, but I, I have to now because when you say designer at WeWork, the architects are designers, and when you say designers, you mean architects at WeWork. So, and I have to say, which, which designer? Um, so, yes, uh, most of my experience is, is digital, but uh, that doesn't mean, or doesn't necessarily mean, that all the problems that we will try to solve, um, you know, the right way to solve them is, is, is through digital design. So I wanted to have all the hammers uh, to solve these problems. So. We don't have them yet, but uh, we're working on it. So if it's information architecture or, or data science or uh, whatever we need to, to come up with the right uh, solutions to the problems we're trying to solve. Uh, to go back to the lobby example yeah. uh, for a second, we didn't really talk about the solution that, that came out of that so much yet, but yeah. I, that was an example of one uh, that really didn't manifest in a software sort of solution. Can you talk about? Like it actually did. Uh, not just software, mm -hmm. but but yes. Um, so the solution was um, uh, taking the three aspects of, of our of our product. We changed the layout of the room. We um, we added software. So um, uh, if you, if you visit us right next door, then you'll see uh, there's a guest registration app uh, on an iPad. Uh, by the way, the funny thing that, that we quote-unquote solved is uh, there were big lines in, in peak hours. Um, I don't know, three, four hundred people entering in one hour. Big lines, and when we did that, it was you know the hard, um, cold days of, of winter uh, earlier this year. And you know, it took three people in the lobby to create a line outside. I waited outside, I, and I worked there, and I waited outside 15 minutes freezing uh, to get in. So... Um, there was software before then, but we just added immediately uh, two more devices that solved the problem. <laughs> so we didn't really do anything, but just ask to add two devices, put the same software that was there already until we have the new one. And then the new one um, that we added uh, gradually uh, solved more and more uh, problems. The third aspect is the role of the person, the front desk associate, we call them. 
who's standing there. So the software, <laughs> they needed to be kind of tech support for people who didn't understand how to use the software. And they didn't have time to do their, their job. And their job was to be nice to people, to welcome people, to get to know people who, who come and go every day, um, be, be very friendly with them because they know them. They didn't have time for that. So um, solving the problem with the software and the lines and everything uh, allowed for them to do more. And we suggested some, some do's and don'ts uh, to these people to change their role a little bit. So we de we de we're designing roles now. <laughs> So that, uh, that's how the combination of physical, digital, and service design comes to play in, in, in that example, in the lobby. Well, it seems like the, maybe this might be a simplistic way of, of separating, you know, we work before and after Tomer. Uh, um, I'm only there for eight months now. It's not, we're not there yet. <laughs> or I guess, I guess my, my question is around, um, you know, the, the approach where for, for the lobby example is, you know, we want to solve this thing, but, you know, you took a step back and said, you know, what's the actual problem that we're solving for? So can you talk about maybe the design culture and how, or maybe the product development and like service design process might be changing based on, um, you know, the work that you're doing, the teams that you're building? So we as a group, as a new group, we have a mandate to work with any WeWork department that is affecting the member experience, uh, not just members, but also pre-members. Um, and we take advantage of that. And we also take advantage of the fact that there was not a lot of research going on before uh, before we started. And uh, a lot of what we do is, is um, we have two, two primary reactions to it. First is, wow, we always wanted to do these things and we never got to do them. It's so great that we can now be confident in what we do uh, because we know it solves a real problem for people. The other aspect of that is pretty uh, predictable. People, you know, some people will, you know, still trust their intuition, their uh, gut feeling. And um, as, as you have in every company, you have these... Uh, um, conflicts about uh, what needs to be done. Uh, there's, you know, evidence and research and there's uh, strong opinions of people who are experienced people. So um, we're still struggling. Well, we're still not there. There's no before and after Tomer, not yet. Um, <laughs> not, not there yet. There's a lot to do. Um, if, if It's really hard to, to look ahead when things both digitally and physically are changing very, very rapidly. But uh, given this opportunity that, that you have to build this team um, from scratch, essentially, uh, what, yep. what's, what's your sort of like near-term vision for, for what a UX designer will be at WeWork? I, I don't create, I mean, our designers are challenged because sometimes, I mean, some of our designers are, you know, you know, have experience as digital designers, and now we're asking them to do all kinds of things that are not really digital. Uh, I don't know if I'm creating new designers. I'm just developing their skills. Um, I think they're facing um, extremely different challenges than they're used to. Uh, so far, so good. They seem to like it. Um, and um, I mean. That's where I want to go. In, in, terms of, in terms of the company, uh, that to me is more important. I um, would like the company to become what we call a listening company. Um, so we know exactly what is our member experience. We know exactly 
what to work on because we're very confident that we know what problems we need to solve, what needs we need to meet, and we're confident because we researched that and we're, we're sure that we have maybe not the answers yet, but we're sure to have the, the challenges uh, lined up and we know what's important to work on. For that to happen, we still need to do a lot of work. That we started, but we still need to do a lot of work to map the experience and to, um, and to understand it and then communicate it. Um, taking a little bit of a step back, uh, a lot of people go into software uh, in general, but also into UX and user research sort of tangentially in their career. A lot of people make a, a move in from engineering or, or, or what have you, any, any sort of uh, career path, but yeah. uh, you actually got a degree in human factors. <laughs> so what, what kind of got you into that from an early early stage? Honestly, luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I started, there was no, I mean, people didn't even use the term user experience. And um, I was, I mean, I, I don't know. It, I, to me, it's a crazy story because it's, it, it just it doesn't make sense. But um, I pretty much didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. I thought I was going to be a, a visual designer. Uh, graphic designer at the time, and um, and I and I got accepted to uh, really good schools, and then decided last minute that I'm not going to do that because I don't know why. I just you know again a part of not knowing what I want to do, and then somebody said you should be a copywriter. So I went to a, a, a year long course and I became a copywriter, and then I was placed in a in an advertising agency and left it after two days because that's not an environment for me, and. Um, and then uh, I think I was hired by a company that called me a, an internet copywriter. Today it's probably a content strategist or something important like that. And, um, and there, uh, and I, I wasn't really an internet copywriter. <laughs> I mean, that was stupid. But then I found a, an open position in a startup that was called um, a usability expert. And I read it and I went, wow, that's, that's interesting. So I started reading about that. I started doing that in the company that hired me as an internet copywriter until they didn't really like it. They said, you know, you need to be an internet copywriter, not a usability person. And then I found uh, another company that was looking for a usability expert and I interviewed with them. And, um, and I was really surprised. It was a, a kind of a mature startup, uh, I don't know, 150 people. And uh, the CEO who interviewed me really seemed to know uh, what usability was and was really happy about it. And then I joined, and a month after that, uh, the person that, you know, the only person in the company that knew what I was doing uh, decided to leave. Um, and from there, uh, I just went on to doing that. Then it changed to user experience. And then at some point, I decided, okay, uh, I want to get serious about it. Uh, so. When I started my degree at Bentley, I think I was doing that for eight or nine years. So I wanted the official stamp. To me, I was just, you know, getting for a stamp of approval for my profession. Uh, little did I know that there's a lot to learn. So <laughs> I'm very happy I did that. Well, I guess, could you maybe talk about that experience? Because I feel like, um, you know, maybe some people are going through the same questions about, you know, their how they ended up in their current career path as a UX researcher, UX designer, yeah, and then they might be considering, you know, either continuing working because they might be doing that work already, 
versus getting a master's degree. So like, what, are, what were the trade-offs that we were making? It's a question that is very hard for me to answer because before I went to Bentley, I was an anti-university person. I didn't believe that you needed a degree to be a good designer or researcher or whatever. Um, and now I, I completely changed my mind. <laughs> uh, and that's how I hire, mostly. Uh, there are exceptions, but that's how I hire. Um, I think my experience at Google also changed that opinion. Um, Google was very strict. No, if you don't have the right degree, we're not going to even talk to you. Um, at least for, for user experience roles, I know for other roles as well. Um, and I, I just I just saw, you know, some people, so even, even in the uh, usability testing that we talked about, that's not rocket science, it's not that easy. I can, you know, not to insult anyone, but you can put any monkey in a room and teach them in three hours how to do usability testing. But um, doing that is, is easy. Understanding why things are happening in front of their if in front of your eyes the way they do, that takes a lot of training, and that training is not something that you get after a three-month course or um, just with experience. Again, there are exceptions. If somebody has 20 years of experience and no degree, they probably have the right experience, and they're probably great at what they do. Um, but if you're very young uh, and you completed the, uh, the, the hypest course around, um, that doesn't necessarily make you a good, whatever, designer, researcher, uh, because you don't have a lot of time to, to go deep into psychology and cognitive psychology, the time that you have in, in, in universities and colleges and also um, the time they invest there, in almost every degree, by the way, in learning how to do proper research, uh, is time that you don't spend in these in these courses. Uh, you do some of it very quickly, but it's not as deep as that. Um, so, yeah. is it fair to say that the maybe one of the values of, of getting a master's degree or like going to like more structured environment over a long period of time is that um, it's not just about the techniques, but no. really understanding the whys and yeah. the the dynamics that are happening behind Anyone it. Anyone can learn the techniques. I mean, yes, a lot of people, uh, yeah, techniques, we, we do that and we do that. Yes, it's important. You need to know that. But there's a lot behind it in the human mind that you need to know about. Um, that's not covered in, in, in those conferences uh, that you might attend and, and quick courses. Um, yeah, and for the 10th time, there are exceptions. <laughs> um. To kind of to uh, one to, to kind of end thinking uh, a little bit about sort of the culture of uh, acceptance or lack of acceptance in in uh, businesses and their approach to research in general. Yeah. Uh, and over the course of your career, do you feel like um, you? We kind of talked uh, at the beginning about uh, sort of usability testing versus more generative conceptual right. research to really understand the why of what we're doing and solve the right problem. Do you think that? companies are really sort of adopting this mindset or is it still a struggle or where, where do you think we're at in terms of adoption of these sort of uh, you know p the problem comes <laughs> first sort of mentality I learned to be optimistic <laughs> so, so I'll give you the diplomatic answer more and more companies understand <laughs> that <laughs> um, 
there's a lot of room for, for improvement. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of companies that don't even know what we're talking about. They, don't, they would never do that. They don't do that. They don't care about that. Um, and then there are companies that are kind of uh, immature. Uh, they're better than the, the, the ones that completely ignore that. Uh, they're immature, mostly doing usability testing, if at all. Maybe hire contractors to, to do that and not themselves. And, uh, and the more mature ones are, um, you know, they're not perfect, but at least they understand that um, the research that looks into um, what people need, what problems do they have, how do they solve them today, that leads to more, to, to better and more successful products. So we're not there yet, but again, more and more companies uh, understand that today. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time to thank you. come in and chat. Sure. Let's get back to work. <laughs> You've been listening to Design Related with today's guest, Tomer Sharon. You can follow him on Twitter at TSharon and check out leanresearch.co for more information about his latest book, Validating Product Ideas. Thanks for listening.